He sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Lady Reverend Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward-Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Lady Reverend Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the Word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences, and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Lord, thank you that we are in your presence again. Thank you for the gift of life, for seeing us through the night and bringing us yet to another morning. Thank you for a morning where your mercies are renewed. This morning, grant me your unction and grant that the words that I speak will be spirit and life. Let them set the captives free. Let the blind receive sight. Let the acceptable year of the Lord be proclaimed. Thank you for your unction upon my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Choir, please take your seats. Thank you. Thank you, Reverend Jake. I want to salute Reverend Jake again and his wife for being the angel on this side. Amen. He has worked with God for a long time. And when you work with God for some time, you receive a certain strength and resilience that comes from only God. Amen. Like Bishop Saki says, he's a gentle giant. You know, he's gentle, but he's powerful. And, you know, his real name, the middle, there's a true. It means he's true. Amen. It's Reverend Jacob, a true God will. A true means he's true. Okay. But you notice that with this, well, I'm getting into what I want to preach about. You notice that with this um, Afro daughter, we say that our theme is from Psalm 45. The king's daughter is all glorious within. And in order for us to allow the brothers to be able also to flow with us, we looked at the translation that says the king's child is all pleasant within. But most of the versions are the king's daughter is pleasant within. Amen. And I believe that when Christ comes into our lives, he doesn't just come to just hover around, but he comes to make us pleasant within. So this morning, I will be brief and then we'll go and break and come back. I want to speak to you about identity crisis. Amen. Identity crisis. I believe that as we walk on in life, many of us come across some type of crisis. And that crisis, the one I want to talk about is identity crisis. 
What does it mean to have an identity crisis? Many times, a woman has to wear so many hats. And in the wearing of so many hats, she easily loses her identity or loses the core of who she is because she is defined by so many things in her walk. Sometimes when you were young, the things that your teachers told you, you are bad in math. Some teachers said, you are not smart. You don't get it. You are slow of learning. You have behavioral problems. You have uh, 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 attention deficiency syndrome. I mean, you are defined by so many things. And yet, such people, these same people that so many things have been said about them, do not always necessarily end up the way man has said. Because God is able to make them become their real selves. Some of us, we have found our self-worth and fulfillment in the church of God. We never knew that we could even do anything, that we could preach, that we would even be celebrated. was not part of your... Because... And even when you are in high school, the things that are celebrated are the people who have boyfriends, the people who people can rap, the people who every boy seems to like, the people who have rich parents, the people who have sports. That is what becomes your identity. And therefore, you start to carve a certain identity for yourself. Oh, I'm the son of Mr. John who has none. You know, and so you see your identity like that. I'm, I'm the son of a poor person. I come from a deprived environment. It's not just your environment, but you use that to define who you are. So that even when you are growing up, sometimes when people are doing things, you say subconsciously, hey, I don't belong to this class. Hey, how can I? I mean, you, you can become so trapped that you can't even spend money when you grow up. It's like everything you are calculating. I, I, I don't deserve anything queenly. I don't deserve anything nice. So the reason why you always don't spend a certain type of money or even buy a certain type of thing, it's not because you are frugal, but it's because your identity is in that thing. And that is a crisis. Hallelujah. It's not that the thing is not nice. It's not that, but you just feel that, who am I? To wear something with a designer label. It's not that I can't afford it all. And then when you hear that, oh, maybe somebody is going on a cruise somewhere, somebody says, hey, people have got pa. It's not because of the money, but because you feel that, who am I to be going on such things? I mean, I can't. It's built inside. And it's an identity crisis. Hallelujah. Some of us have been defined by the type of relationships we have been in. Some people have been kicked around, you know, and especially when they are not married. The person is kicking you here. You are rolling on the floor. And then I tell you, leave him. Lady Pastor, he's the only one who has ever loved me. Is that love? The kicking and the... But it's because there's no self-worth. So when you are kicked and you are beaten and all that, inside you, you don't find anything wrong with it because you feel that that's what, what I am. And that's who I am. Therefore, that's why I'm treated that way. So, 
Even after you cry and all that, you mop, you still go back because you feel that I, I deserve it. That's who I am. You know, and if, if it wasn't this man who said he loved me, nobody has told me that they loved me before. So I'll just stay with it. You have an identity crisis. And your identity is now in the relationship. And in how the person even treats you, you feel that it's your lot. And that that is how it should be. Oh, that is a crisis because you are not thinking correctly, quickly. So you are born again and everything, but you have a certain identity crisis. Some of us also walk in our past, in our mistakes, in things that are not right, you know. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 1 from verse 12. I want to show you how we walk in our past. Will you put it on the board for me, please? 1 Timothy chapter 1. Reading from verse 12 and onwards. These days, because of the screen, Christians don't know the books of the Bible. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. We are continuing. Verse 13. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious? But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. Verse 14. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. And then verse 15. This is a faithful saying. Verse 15. Worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. So Paul knows his past. He said before, I was a persecutor. I was injurious. I was a blasphemer. I did so many things, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. But come with me to Acts 28. Acts chapter 28, reading from verse 2. I want to link this with something. Acts chapter 28. Read it from verse 2 onwards. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us everyone because of the present rain and because of the cold. Verse 3. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. Verse 4. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they sent among themselves, no doubt, this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. Verse 5. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Now, these are two different reports. The barbarians did not even know Paul. But Satan will always tell people about your past. And he will always create a cloud of suspicion and things around you. And so when they were gathering sticks, they had been shipwrecked and all that. And then a snake came out of it and fastened itself on Paul's hand. And then the people said, this man is a murderer. And what the people were saying was true. That he had been a murderer. But at that time, he was suffering for the gospel's sake and was no longer a murderer. But many of us, our past has not been shaken off. 
And it is continuing to be with us even when we know the Lord. And when we gather around people, our past comes up again. And then they say, this man is a murderer. And because it was true in the past, you become jittery. And then you accept that I am. But what in actual fact it was is that you were, but you are not now. For the Bible says that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things, not some things, not a few things, not partial things, but all things, all things have become new. But can we accept the newness? But we often go by what people say. And there will always be agents of Satan. I mean, these are barbarous people. They don't even know the effect on you. But they said, this man, the way the snakes are about him and he's not moving, there's something. And it's true that there's something. But his grace and mercy has covered that something long ago. And then Paul comes in Timothy to say that, yes, I was a, a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was injurious. I was a murderer. But I obtained mercy. That is a very important difference. I obtained mercy. And many times in the church, men are forgiven more than women. I mean, a man can sleep with a thousand girls. And people will not be wary of him when he's going to marry. But a woman will sleep with two people. And it will never leave her. Say, are you a virgin? When we are asked such questions, they don't ask the men. But we are always asked, are you a virgin? Because that is how the world is. And then we walk into identity crisis. And so even though Christ has set us free, we are not really set free in our lives as Christians. We are still in bondage. Amen. Amen. The way we are asked, are you a, a, a lady came to me and said, Sister Mami, the number of men I've had, I will never say it. Never. I said, why? She said, because they'll be afraid of me. Hey! They are a lot. And in marriage council, they say, and the man and the woman, they were naked. And they were not ashamed. So you have to share your history, which is true. But sometimes I feel that some details are not necessary. Because sometimes they can't handle it. And Jesus said that, I have not said certain things to you because you cannot bear them. You cannot. You just cannot bear it. And so I cannot say certain things to you. But some of us, the reason is not that they cannot bear it, but because we are deceptive. Amen. But we carry this thing so much. Say, I'm not a virgin. I messed up. I did this. And Satan will always send people like the barbarous people. You will meet some old boyfriend. And you'll be saying, hey, Mavis, but why are you walking away like that? Don't you remember? Why are you now behaving? I'm sure you know the story where one of our pastors had ministered powerfully. And then the people came to greet him after the service. The pastor told me this personally. And I told my husband before I knew it was a window in the preaching. Which is always the case. Anyway, so the people came to greet him in one of our branches, our foreign branches. And the lady came and said, Oh, praise the Lord. You came to church today. What's your name? A small church. 
She mentioned her name. The pastor said, great. I hope you will come again next. She said, oh, pastor, don't you remember me? I said, no, I don't remember. I said, hey, you are the one who broke my virginity. <laughs> oh, in this city this year, oh, pastor, don't you remember? Immediately, all the pastor's unction, his anointing, his everything left him. And so when he was telling me, I said, you see, for the woman, it was an event. For you, it was just a moment. So as she has come, she, she remembers because the surprising thing is that something happens to a woman. Something is broken. Blood is shed. The man doesn't have that. And that shows how deep relationships affect us more than they affect a man. And so there's no way that it will not be significant to you. But for him, nothing is broken. Everything is as it was in the beginning. It's now and ever shall be world without end. Hallelujah. But no matter how well you are doing in the ministry, Satan will send somebody to remind you, oh, Pastor, Pastor, oh, try and remember. Uh, have you forgotten? And how much more even when you are a woman? Like the woman was caught in adultery. She was with a man, but she was the only one who was brought. And it continues to be like that today. She was the only one. Adultery is not performed by one person. Amen? And it was men who brought her, but they didn't bring the other man. Where was he? He was left scot-free. And I always tell ladies that this is what should tell you that when you are doing foolish things, think twice. Think twice. Because for us, the implications are deeper and more far-reaching. Look, even when a girl gets pregnant in school, high school, the man continues on the day you got pregnant. On the day the results came. Do you understand? The day that you are spitting and you are vomiting and your mother is blasting you, you, you were not married, how could you? You can't get out of bed. You have morning sickness at the age of 15. He has taken his school bag and he's writing his exam. And you are the one who is feeling so dizzy that you can't even finish the exam. I had mates like that in the university. One of them were writing our last law paper and her waters just broke. I mean, they had to rush her, whatever, and then she had to defer the paper. But the boy, he wrote fully and finished and passed with honors. And it's not even that he was better than the lady. But it's like circumstances just make you limp. So when we are getting into relationships, we have more at stake and more to lose than the men. So we need to sit up and think twice. You don't just... But all that leads to identity crisis. Somebody said, I can never love any man like the way I loved this boy. And I said, well, what you felt, you can never feel it for any man because it was infatuation. It's not based on anything real. So yes, it's a, a, a flighty something, but because you are so young and it's your first experience of that, it looks so hallowed. But what it is is that it's your youthfulness, your driven emotions that don't have any harnessing. It's not bridled in any way. That is what makes you feel that that was love and you can never love any man that way. But the man, he has moved on and he can love many sisters that way. Even sometimes in the church, 
Somebody breaks up with this and mind the person's best friend. And I'm like, oh, why? And my husband will say, what's wrong with it? Ah, she didn't like him and she left him. And the best friend likes, I said, no, it's a breach of confidence, loyalty. He says, what loyalty? What has she done? This one left him. He doesn't like. Then the best friend says, I like. What is the problem? But for me, it's a big problem. I said, no. If you are my friend, first of all, I tell you everything about my relationship. I tell you everything about the likes and dislikes of my beloved. How he's boring me, how he did this, how we're happy, we went here, we did this, all this. You have that dossier. I, I, I confide in you so much. And you are like, to me, like my sister. So to go for my best friend, it's like incest. That is how it is. Then all the men say, oh no, it's not like that. And then my husband will say, but is it not the sister who said she didn't like? I said, she said she didn't like. But it doesn't mean the best friend should take. But nowadays, I've given up. I feel they should just do whatever makes them happy. Because I've come to see that we are very, very, very different. And then I ask them, if it is you, and then they'll say, oh no, that's different. That's different. <laughs> Identity crisis. One lady was somebody's very good friend. And then the man proposed, I said, that, will you say yes? If you say yes, I'll be very surprised. And the friend came to see me so broke. She said that, sister man, she used to say, your beloved is so handsome. He's so good looking. I've poured out all my heart. Oh, when they broke up, Three days after she was the beloved of the other the man. Fully, this is not hearsay. And I told her that if it were you, would you like it? I won't like it, Mom, but how it is. And I left it. And it came to pass. That the man left her. And went back for the first one. And she was very hurt. Sister Mom, I said, Are you coming for counseling? Don't come. Everything I have to say, I've said already. Don't come. I told you that if you are, you see, women don't feel for each other. If you are standing in such a place, you know you don't like it. And she was wilder than the first one. Do you understand? The same people, when they experience what they say, it doesn't matter. Their misbehavior is at another level. The people who are funny in the church and are some way to pastor's wives, when they marry, they don't want you to cough even near their husband. They don't. And it's so amazing. The same people, oh, but they don't want those. Say, Mommy, I can't stand it. The people in the church, that's, ah. But you, your husband is not even a pastor. He doesn't have to minister to so many people. So, and this particular girl, she's always greeting him. And I say, ah. But you, you did worse. I wasn't like that. I had a pure heart. I said, yeah. Identity crisis. We define ourselves by our failure in relationships. Say, so I failed in this. I failed with Peter. I failed with John. Therefore, I am a failure. But there are many other departments in life. It's not just relationships. How can that area make you a failure, generally speaking? How can it be? You may have made certain mistakes, but it doesn't make you a failure. Even when there's divorce, women take more on themselves than men. The woman may not speak it, but she feels guilty. 
I was not nice enough. I didn't do my best. I'm to blame. This happened because of me. And we always say, oh, I'm a divorcee. I can never rise up. This is how I am. But who said that that defines who you are? It was an event in your life. You can't discount that. But that is not what gives you your identity. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Sometimes, even in the context of marriage, people define themselves by why they are, what their spouses tell them. And you begin to meditate on it. And you believe more in the negative things your spouse has always told you than the things that the word of God says about you. Some spouses are not good with their tongue, especially cholerics. <laughs> you see, one day, my father told a family member to her face on my mother's side that you, I don't trust you. And I don't think you are trustworthy. Nothing had happened, though. The woman has come to us and they, she's just greeting you. Good morning. You, I don't trust you. I don't think you are trustworthy. So don't be coming here like that. Oh, the woman was very surprised because she had just drunk tea with him and everything. And then he went up, had a nap, and then came and you, I don't trust you. It led to a family feud. So I was telling my husband, how can my father say that? Why should he tell? Then he looked and said, ah, but is it not the truth, mommy? <laughs> and I said, but even if it's the truth, you don't have to say it. And also, there has not been any incident for you to come. Then my husband said, ah, okay. Then he should say it in his head. <laughs> but it's the truth. He, he just, you are trying to say that he should say it in his head, but he shouldn't say it. I said, ah, how can you say that? I said, nothing has come up. It's unnecessary. It's an unnecessary comment. He said, but it's the truth. And I said, grace and truth is what came out of Jesus. Not only truth. So sometimes, you know, Truth can come, but it has to come with a certain grace. But it's not every time your spouse speaks to you with a certain grace. It's not every time your boyfriend, a lady told me, this man that I went out with, at the end of it, I had lost all my self-worth. Because when he finishes sleeping, he said, get up, get up, wear your things and go. See you later. And then I won't see him. Ah, there's no relationship. That when he needs me, he'll come, hey, where are you? Report here. This and that and that. And then that's it. So she said, I suffered. I suffered in that relationship. I said, so why did you stay? Because I felt that. She said, so what made you leave him? His wife called me and threatened me. His wife called me and threatened me. So because of that, I left. And you have been told so many things. You are a lazy woman. You are not a virtuous woman. You have a very bad mind. You are wicked. You are selfish. You are self-centered. You don't know anything. Hey, before you married, you felt that you knew a lot of things. And you excelled, even in school and all that. But now when you get married, even certain discussions, they don't involve you. Just say, you are not up to. And you define yourself unconsciously. You begin to believe that lie. And you go into an identity crisis. So you are like this. You are like that. One lady came to my house and said, 
my husband, anytime something happens, he starts to tell me all my boyfriends. And at a point, he says, are you? Look at a slut like you. You went so far. You have slept with everybody, including Azuma Nelson. I didn't know, but when she told me, I said, hey. <laughs> a boxer as well. And then she said to me, but even if I've slept with Azuma Nelson, do you have to tell me that? Do you have to tell So I was also saying, sister, it will be okay, but I was saying in my head, hey, Azuma Nelson. <laughs> it's not an easy thing. <laughs> and I knew this brother. His record is worse than his wife. But it's a way of controlling. Because when you break a person down, you have the power to control the person. But every woman must rise up and say, this is not who I am. The Bible says in Isaiah 54, arise, O daughter of Zion, shake the dust from off thee. It means that you come to a place where you are sitting in dust and you have to shake that dust from you. Now, there are even so many people, including men, even when you are in the ministry, you go through identity crisis. Who are you? What, where did you come from? What are you doing? Often, when a lady is in her husband's church, she may not know who she is. <laughs> because he gives you choir, it works, then he moves you. Move. Go to children's voice. Oh, I was flourishing here. I thought, move. Go to children's department. And you are not told that it's because you have done so well. So you don't know why you yourself have to look and see that it's because you have done so well. But you are not told that. Just, ah. Oh, am I being moved from place to place? But all the other people, when a lady pastor does what they will congratulate, oh, lady pastor, if I didn't have you, I would not know what I would do. You are such a hard worker. You bring in the souls. You work hard. I really, whatever. And then you, you will bring even a thousand souls. Do you know why? It's because you are a wife. And oftentimes, they see you as part of themselves. So what you have done, it accrues to me. So what are you talking about? I don't know if you understand. You see, and also there are a, a bit of complexities because you, you are a wife and then you also work under your husband. So when you, he's, you are annoying him, he can use his powers to move you to ashes. <laughs> Do you understand? It's like you are misbehaving at home, but the punishment is in public. There's a church, a pastor's wife told me, just before I came, she called me that my husband is divorcing me. He says that this is, the one who said that she doesn't care, all that. And she called me, my chair has been removed, but this time, finally. It's not coming back. They've had an eldest meeting. But my chair has been removed, so I don't sit there again. And like Bishop said, that pastor who said that he preaches loyalty more, he said that that pastor's wife who doesn't write notes, I just send her to the back. But usually when a male pastor does not write notes, he will not be noticed. But you, you are a wife. So you have misbehaved from home. But you will be punished at the altar. <laughs> and then you now wonder, when you are even a pastor's wife, the expectation of people, the expectation of the world, the expectation of your husband, and your own expectation all lead you into identity crisis. <laughs> Amen. Some people say a pastor's wife should always cover her head. Some people say, no, a pastor's wife should be herself. She should be what? 
Some people say a pastor's wife should not speak. She should just be quiet in the church. She shouldn't play any role. I was in a church like that. And she should just be there. Some people say, no, a pastor's wife should be called to the ministry. Some people say, no, a pastor's wife should be somebody who has pulpit ministry. So if she's a prayer warrior, she's not powerful. Which one are you going to wear? We're going through an identity crisis. Sometimes it's also what you have been told in growing up. Your family doesn't even believe in you. And when you go and you say, nowadays, I'm a born-again Christian, you say, you are a what? <laughs> and just like they told Jesus, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? In the same way, can any good thing come out of you? Or out of this house? Or out of a place like this? But I want us to use, look at some powerful men and how they overcame their identity crisis. Amen. John chapter 1. A very known scripture. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Verse 9. It was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. Amen. Now remember that before Jesus came, the angel had gone to Mary and said that the Holy Spirit will come over you and the power of the Most High shall overshadow you and that which is within you shall be called holy and he shall save his people from their sins. So because before Jesus was even born, a prophecy had gone forth about him from an angel, from the throne of God. And then the Bible comes in First John to tell us that he was there from the beginning and he was with God and he himself was God. And the Bible says that without him was not anything made that was made. I mean, nothing could come into existence without him. These are the qualities of Jesus. He was from the beginning. In the beginning was the word. The word himself was God. The word became flesh dwelt among us. So this is the true light. That's also a quality. And it says that that light shines even in darkness. And even darkness is not able to overcome him. And then one of the things is that he's the truth in terms of he's the, the true light. And the Bible says that without him, nothing was made that was made. All these powerful things were said about him. But at the same time, he came unto his own and his own received him. It doesn't matter what qualities you have. It doesn't matter what destiny God has etched out for you. It doesn't matter what God's plan was before you were born. 
people will not naturally just accept you or accept who God has made you. And none of us measures to what has been said. Were you in the beginning? The word. Were you with God from the beginning? Are you God? Are you any true light? Don't you have darkness in you? How much more the son of God? But you would think that when you are the right person, you have the right attributes, and you have the right qualities. So you keep saying, oh, if I was of a better character, or if I didn't have this history that I had, or if I didn't come from this family background, or if I hadn't made these mistakes, I would have been accepted, I would have been celebrated, I would have been... But it's not true. No matter your qualities, rejection is part of the package. <laughs> For even the Son of God was rejected. And sometimes God may give you a prophecy about yourself. And then when you are living your life, it seems to be the opposite. And if you were Jesus, you would have said, ah, but people are rejecting me. They are saying I'm this. They are saying I'm that. God didn't mean the prophecy he meant. He meant the prophecy. And prophecy is supposed to thrive even in the midst of contrary evidence or opposition. God's word is supposed to be able to run through a troop, leap over a wall, and make you what God has said that you are. Hallelujah. Now, he came unto his own. That's the first place where rejection comes from. Where your own. Usually, it's your own people, your peers, your family, people who think they know you, are not able to accept the one that God has made you. They are not able to see that the king's daughter is all pleasant within. They can't see it. And usually that is your, your first port of call because that's where you find yourself. So he came unto his own and his own received him not. Now you and I, when we come unto our own and our own don't receive us, it won't end there. We will wallow in rejection. We will forget about who God said we were. We will never rise up to walk in the places where God says we can walk in. We will just sit there. We'll have a pity party. We will call our friends and tell them. We will receive the seed of that word. And the identity within us will change. We will cry and say, how can people be so mean? They haven't treated me well. I came to them, look at how they have behaved, you know, and we will even discount God's prophecy and say, God didn't mean, the word of God doesn't work. The word of God doesn't mean what it says. How is it that I'm not able to practicalize the word in my life? I am not what God has said. All the things that he has told me in my quiet time, through my pastors, it's not true because that is not what I'm experiencing. So you don't, you don't create your identity by what you are experiencing. It's not your experience that defines who you are. It's what God has said about you. That is what defines who you are. And one thing that the Holy Spirit said to me is that when he came into, unto his own, his own did not receive him. He turned to somewhere else. So sometimes you are looking at a pot, like I was saying yesterday, say, this ground, bring forth grape. It's not bringing forth grape. But another patch is bringing forth grape. It's time to turn to that patch that is bringing forth grape. Because there's something that will receive you. And there's something that will not receive you. And the Bible says that 
But as many as believed him and received him, he gave them power to become the children of God. Beloved, you empower the relationships that believe in you and that receive you. You don't empower the ones that are negative. That is negative energy. It will not help you. It will not take you far. Look at the patch that is yielding something and allow it to empower your relationships. Look for those who believe. Look for those who receive and give them power to become what they are supposed to become in your life. Hallelujah. Sometimes in a church, Pastor's wife come with all that problem. All the time. This one, when she sees me, she doesn't greet me. This one, when she sees me, she looks here. This one, hey, those are the ones who received you not. But go and turn to the as many. As many. As many. As believe and receive and give them power to become something in your life. Turn your face away. But now you are getting into strife. You are fighting. You are crying. Why doesn't she mind me? Why doesn't she like me? Why is it that when I give her a present, she doesn't even acknowledge it? Why? You are calling the ground, give birth. Receive me. Believe in me. Come forth. And the person too is just looking at you like this. We have to learn from Jesus. As many. And there are many out there who believe in you. There are many who receive you. And to those, you give power. And I'm telling you a road that I've walked on. Why do you want everybody to love you? Look at the example of Jesus. Are you greater than him? I don't understand it. Why do you want everybody to celebrate you? Look at the example of Jesus. Why is it that when you preach, you want everybody to receive it? The sower, when he sowed, only one quarter. Can you receive it? But you, you want 100% results. It doesn't exist. But there are many. Like you and I who were Gentiles. But maybe it's the Gentile patch that is yielding something. Empower the Gentile patch. Me, I have a lot of, if you like, Muliganos friends. Muliganos. That is how it starts. Most of my friends, maybe they have some history. They have been a certain way. But Christ has touched them. And they have genuinely changed. And those are the ones, somehow, they seem to be attracted to me. So as many as believe and receive, I also respond. Hallelujah. And the ones that don't respond, I don't struggle. I keep telling you people that there are different types of people. Some are uppers and some are Naomi's. Upper goes with you a part of the journey. Ruth, sorry. Ruth goes with you all the way. So choose the one that goes with you all the way. You know, but sometimes in our fight, then we create cliques in the church. This is the first ladies fan club. As for you, because you are there, I will not. That is negative energy. You have energy to create party spirit in the church. I don't have time. You see, they were talking about a lady, and my husband was saying that, this lady, she has been rude to everybody, even me, from me, right down. I said, oh, minus me. <laughs> and he said, oh, how? I said, because my matter doesn't come in here, matter. I know that this is a fortress of quarreling. So when I see the person, hi, how are you? Great. Everything okay? You look nice. That's all. I don't have anything deep to share with you. 
I've not taken myself to empower a relationship that is not there. Uh-huh. But you people, you want something to yield. Hey, why are you like, hey, this and that struggles. That I don't have energy for. Amen. Sometimes even people are some way, but they still believe and receive. And you must empower them. God is able to make them change. They are some way, but they are still drawn to you. And God brings them to you for a purpose. You must empower that. But you say, oh, complaints. Now you start bitterness. You are spreading it. And then the root of bitterness affects all your friends. Then before we know, the church of God has been ripped into two. For what purpose? As many as believed and received him. He gave them power to become the children of God. We often give power to the wrong people. The people who don't mind you. The people who reject you. The people who define you in various ways. You make them too powerful in your life. That's negative power. And it's not right. You need to meditate on Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Because if you walk after the flesh, you will shipwreck. You will end up in a place you don't want to end up. You have to walk in the spirit. This is a verse I say to myself all the time. There's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And that liberates you and takes condemnation out of your life. Amen. John 1.13. The Bible says, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You were not born by blood. Not that just, oh, my mother and my father are related or... Biologically, I just came. The Bible says that you are not here because of that. Your essence is not because. We were born not of blood, nor of the will of man. You know, usually, it's our will. Say, oh, do you take this person to be your lawful? I do. Do you take this to be your lawful? That has what I do. So that's the will of man. And then it brings forth a child. Those are all carnal and earthly things that happen. But that is not the real you. You are not born of the will of man. You are not born because of entertainment between your mother and your father. But you are born with a destiny and a purpose which God wants you to fulfill. So it's not of the will of man. It's not of blood. It's not of the will of man. But not of the will of man, but the will of God. But the will of God. You are here because God willed it to be so. You are what you are because God willed it to be so. You are a child of God because God willed it to be so. You are royalty within because God willed it to be so. So don't look at the will of man, blood. Eh, if I had come from a better background, if I had... all oh, that is immaterial. Whatever God has said that he will make you, he will make you. He will make you. My mother said to me, you know, they were, they were, they were cheated out of all their inheritance. So the houses were there, but those days, Kasri Law, an uncle lives here, this lives here. So her own grandmother, they didn't really get anything from that. They just had a little house that they lived in. And her aunt, before she died, 
was a very wealthy woman, very educated in those days. Her aunt would take her to places, give her hats to wear and all that, but at a point the wealth was waning. And then that aunt died. And her mother used to say to her, one day you will travel abroad so many times, you will even beg for it to stop. And she used to wonder, because there was no smell of that around her. And she thought, how can these things be? I mean, what was my mother talking about? Her mother said, there's greatness in you. One day, you will become a very great woman. And then, when she finished secondary school, she just went to teacher training. She was supposed to go to the university, but she had met my dad. My dad said, oh, no, just do some short course. We need to marry, you know. So she truly sold the, the, the uh, uh, potential to have a degree and went and became a teacher. So if I ask my father now who should, who you should marry, he always says, a teacher, very good. <laughs> so she became a teacher. And then the man said, oh, when we marry, you'll be able to do all your courses. And... But when she asked him, you see, at first when he used to come and visit her, he had four children. But when she married, she found out that he had eight. <laughs> and then she also came and joined herself and had five. So my brothers always ask her, when you came, the man had eight. At least I had two. You two, you sat down and manifested five children and you are moving. But as time went on, she managed to do a few courses here. Even when the scholarships came, I was little, I remember. My father would say, no, you're going to Canada for how many years? No, it won't work. He will not allow. So she would just do a bit, do here do that, join this group, join that. And with time, she was always the head of something, being voted for something, just rising up like that. In the end, she became the president of the teachers' union in the whole Ghana. After that, she became the vice president of Education International. So then when she's going, she goes to Brussels, and they come with the private jet, and then she flies to wherever she's going. My mother has been to every nation on this planet. And she said that when she got to America, she has a picture, she's shaking Clinton. She has a picture, Mandela is giving her a peck. And my, husband, my father says he will sue Mandela for sexual harassment. <laughs> so tell him. And she said when she got up to address the American audience, and Bill Clinton was sitting there, tears came to her eyes. She said, where's my mother? What she spoke, where's my mother? Is this, she said, I asked myself, is this Abba Kukwe's daughter on a platform like that? She has been to Greenland. There's no way. There's no way. She has not been. And her mother said, you will beg not to go. And it has literally happened. She has said, I can't come. You want me to come? She knows everywhere. Saskatchewan. She's been everywhere. Poland. And even in Ghana, she has been to every little single village because the president of the Teachers, you don't. So you have to go every. So where is my mother? When she got up to address the people, and when she finished, the people were clapping. And she said, you know, I didn't even enter life through the right channels of being like a degree holder. Or, but it was through this way, this way, this But my mother had said to me, you will be a great woman one day. You will go here. But when she looked at her destiny and her background and her, it didn't look like that. But that is God. That is God. So it's not the will of man. 
You are not born. You are not born again or born into Christ by the will of man, by the will of your parents, but by the will of God. And therefore, we need to find our identity in Christ, not in the things that are around you. If it's the will of man, then you see some of us we hold on to. I am a. Hey, don't you know I am Mrs. What means? Mrs. What means is a transit, transient title. Amen. When God calls you home, you are not any Mrs. What If you were Mrs. Saki, another has come. So why do you base your identity on that? Don't you know who I am? I'm the bishop's wife. Just sit there and be humble. You're a bishop's wife. We know. And so what? And it is sometimes people who are not sure of themselves who are the ones who have to cover themselves with so many titles. It's because you see your identity in how people treat you. But Jesus did not see his identity. Otherwise, he would have said, I'm not worth anything because the people rejected me. And many of us, when we come to a room, we say, oh, they were not warm. It means there's something wrong with me. Oh, they were not, I'm not of value. Oh, they didn't welcome me. Oh, I'm not. It's not the reaction of people that determines your value. The way people receive you is not your value. Otherwise, Jesus would have said, oh, I came to my own. They rejected me then. I'm not. A, and that is what we base our things on. When I greeted, she didn't mind me. When I came into the room, they didn't celebrate me. When I came, they put me at the back. When I came, they... And you are allowing that to define who you are. It's not what you do. It's who you are. What you are is what you are. What Christ has made you, you are. It's not what you do that defines you. Amen. But some of us, we think that, oh, it's what we do. What you do may bring you honor, but it is not your identity. It means that when you stop doing that thing, then you are nothing. It doesn't mean that. For your being and your destiny and what you should be and all that was determined before the foundations of the earth. The Lord said, before you were a clot of blood in your mother's womb, I knew you. And can't you see that when you look around sometimes in your family, you don't know why God chose you and why he should make you so special and why he should lift you up. You don't even understand it. One day they were doing a family something and I was saying that no, not all of us should be made to contribute this way and we should not be. Then a family member said, but you are the shining stars. Why are you saying? I said, which stars? I said, you are the shining, you and your brothers. And I realized that even when she was referring to us, those brothers she was referring to were all pastors. Therefore, a certain glory comes on you as a child of God. Hallelujah. Do not allow how people treat you to determine whether you are valuable or not. It will lead to politics. It will lead to a fight for position. It will lead to something that is not healthy. John chapter 1 verse 19. We'll end soon, don't worry. Hallelujah. Are you there? John 1, 19. Okay. And this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Art thou Elias? 
And he said, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto Who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? Hmm. And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight way the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me. Whose shoes, shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethbara. Verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come, baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. Verse 33, and I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. <laughs> Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and said unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Amen. Amen. Now, I was telling you that before this, there had been a prophecy about Jesus. And there had also been a prophecy about John. Luke 1, 15 to 17. This is a teaching session, so don't worry. Luke 1, 15 to 17. For he shall be great in the 15 to 17. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. That's John the Baptist. And shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before them in the spirit and power of Elisha. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready a people prepared from the Lord. And then Luke 1, 67 says, And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, and thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people through the tender mercy of our God and all that. Now, when the angel came to Zacharias in the Holy of Holies, he prophesied about John, what he would do, what he would become. He says he shall go in the spirit and power of Elisha but he will not be Elisha. Amen. Amen. He will go in the spirit and power of it, but he will not be Elisha. And he said that he will prepare the way of the Lord. Then, on his outdooring day too, his father also, his tongue was loose. and said, and thou child shall be called a prophet of the most high. This will happen, and that will happen, and that will happen. But it doesn't take away from you people who question your identity. Yeah. 
So the king said, we have been sent, the Levites and the priests, the Ubuntis, to ask you that, who are you? And they said, are you a prophet? Are you Elijah? Or are you he who is to come? They give you suggestions about who they think you are. Amen. And it's not because they are interested to make anything of your identity. But it's Satan's way of breaking us down. So that we lose confidence. Even self-confidence, you don't have some. You say, when they are calling people, they shouldn't call me. When God is asking anybody to be a pastor, not me. When they are saying anybody who is a good pastor's wife, they shouldn't mention me because I don't qualify. So they send people ahead of you so that you will not fulfill your destiny. Because when you come into self-doubt, you'll be saying, am I the prophet? Am I Jesus? Am I the one who is to come? Who exactly am I? Uh, am I Elisha? I think I do things like Elisha. Maybe I'm Elisha, really. And maybe it's better to be Elisha, because Elisha was a great man, than to be who God says I should be. I'm confused. Out of these three, I'm a prophet, but I'm not the prophet they are talking about. I'm Elijah, but I only have the spirit and power of Elisha. I'm not really Elisha. And am I really the one who is to come? Well, I was supposed to come before him. But will it not be better to be Jesus than to be John the Baptist? Who exactly am I? Will it not be better? How do I define myself? Will I not be less respected if I'm John the Baptist? Is Jesus not more powerful? But he came back and said, it's not mine who defines me. I am not. I am not. But I am the voice. You need to define what you are not. And in the church, we have problems because we are trying to be what we are not. We are trying to sit on chairs that we should not sit on. We are trying to occupy positions that are not for us. And it's all a temptation. And we think that it will lead us to promotion. But it will actually make you shipwreck your identity and your destiny that God has marked out for you. Who are you? He said, I'm a voice. It's not powerful to say you are a voice. It's powerful to say who owns the voice than to say that you are a voice. And even if you are a voice, tell us that you are a voice of one preaching powerfully, but you are the voice of one crying. It's not attractive. I'm the voice of one crying. Are you a crybaby? Are you weak? Do you have substance? How come your destiny is the voice of one crying? The whole world you came to, you just came to cry. And you are not crying in the cities. You are not crying in the palaces. You are not crying in the places where you will be known and perhaps celebrated. But you are crying in the wilderness. Who hears voices in the wilderness? When people matter, they are not in the wilderness. They are in palaces. They are on stage. They are at Aphrodota. They have international platforms. Not in the wilderness. But unless you accept who you are, you will never come into what God wants to make you. I'm the voice of one cry in the wilderness. Prepare ye 
the way of the Lord. And they keep pushing him. Are you not the Messiah? He said, I'm not. Before we know who we are, we must know what we are not. I know as a wife that I am not the bishop. I am not. And people, a few, a few people who are astray make foolish comments. About two Saturdays ago, somebody called me, somebody in the church. Oh, Sister Mom, your brothers, I'm being so blessed on the radio. No, he even sent me a text that spare Vashti with all her weakness and don't tell her that something that's so. This brother, I've been telling him that he should tell me who his beloved was. So I didn't know it was a sermon. So I said, ah, he's sending this text to somebody and it has come to me. So I said, who is Vashti? She should do what? Now I've discovered her. So your beloved is called Vashti, eh? I said to him. And then he sent a text. Like, no, it's the radio. You are preaching about the sins of Vashti. And so I'm sending you a text that spare the Vashti that you are preaching about. <laughs> so then, after that, he said, you see, I said, in fact, I have a very bad mind <laughs> about you. That is why when I saw the text, then he called me and said, oh, the sins of Vashti, I mean, this Saturday preaches, we are really blessed. And I said, hmm, do you know what somebody said? He said to me, I said, no, he said, I met a guy in town, a very prominent guy. He said, hey, I never knew your bishop's wife could preach like that. Your bishop's wife can preach, oh. She should be on television and everything. Hey, I think this woman, she's more powerful than her husband. What do you think? <laughs> so he's sharing it with me. And I said, oh, what type of foolishness is that? And what type of misguided person is that? I said, do you know the number of churches the man has built? Do you know the number of pastors under him? Do you know the number of pastors he's been able to raise? Your friend doesn't know what he's saying. And this is the second time. A church member in the choir has come to tell, write to me. Is it that they, 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 they don't want you to preach on Sundays because is it that they're afraid that you will shine? <laughs> is it that they're they afraid that you will shine? The bishop's wife, oh, they are telling you that how much more other pastors are their wives. And if you are misguided, you say, ah, you see, I'm actually, my gift is being hidden, you see. They, they, they don't want me to come out and break forth and break loose. The devil has subtle ways of speaking to you. And you too, you believe it. You have received a phone call which said, you are deceived totally. For even if Bishop had not raised me in the ministry, I would not have known anything about the ministry. And then some misguided person comes to tell you, are you not greater than the bishop? Are you not more anointed? Are you not being hidden? Should the church not give you more opportunity? Why don't they let you do this? Should they not? Whatever. And then now you lose your identity. You say, I am actually what you are saying. But you have to know that I am not. I am not Bishop Dagiwad Mills, even if I'm his wife. I am not. Amen. And the fact that you are his wife, you know him, doesn't mean you should take the anointing for granted. There's something, you know, sometimes I have certain issues I don't have answers for. And then when I go and tell Bishop, he'll say that. The reason why is one, two, three, four. So if you do, because in a week I got people, three people coming to me and telling me they feel that their parents take advantage of them. 
you see. One of them is even a pastor. And those parents did not even look after them. <laughs> when he sends weekly, uh, monthly remittance to his father, two weeks, the father is calling. It's finished. You must do this. You must do that. But his mother, who looked after him, would rather be saying, oh, it's too much. Oh, what you gave me this month is not finished. So I'm just trying to make it to... So I had three cases like that. And one of the shivi told me now, her father begins to say, you don't love me. You love your mother more. These type of power games. So I had another lady. Oh, she has constructed more than half of her mother's house. Built carport, this, that. Then the mother comes to see the husband. Your wife is very stingy. Your wife is not generous. And the husband says, oh, but we've done this and this way. It's not your wife, it's you. This is his mother-in-law tells him. It's not your wife, it's you. So the wife is so sad. And she comes, and I said, ah, doesn't your mother know that? Your husband is doing it because of you. Because otherwise, what will be the reason? And she told me that. In fact, she's really tempting me to walk in bitterness because she told my, she told my husband that, ah, so you are backing your wife, are you not? One day, she will manifest the spirit to you in the future, and then you will see what type of. So I was telling Bishop, you see, they are battling between honor your father and your mother, and at the same time being misused, you know, you don't know. Take... He said to me that there's a certain type of request that becomes control. And if not checked, it becomes witchcraft. Because a person should not control you. As much as you should honor, you should give, you should, you should be able to say, no, I cannot do this. Because when you give in, the control never ceases. But I hadn't worked it out that way. So I went back and I told the people, I need to see you. I said, you see, it's a certain form of control. Which you actually need to break. Because this and that and that and that. Now when I feel like, oh, Sister am eh, full of wisdom. Powerful, but it's from somewhere. It's from somewhere. I am not. I am not. I am not. You must know what you are not. And they said that the reason why they are asking John the Baptist is so that they will go and tell the people who send them. They are lying. Because when he answered, they said, oh, then why do you baptize? You see, that is not the reason. The real reason is behind it. You must know what you are not. And then you must be able to celebrate others. That will liberate you to accept who you are and to be happy with who you are. Because John the Baptist said, I am not worthy to unlatch his, his shoes. So today, you know, I'm wearing sandals. So when I was doing I said, ah, but this small time, John, John the Baptist said he's not worthy. I was telling LPB, and I said, ah, why should John the Baptist say, I mean, to do shoes, is it an honor? And he says that I'm not worthy to even do that. And then he points to people that, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one. Can you say there he goes, there she goes? Can you celebrate another woman? Can you stand that she will be blessed and that people will follow her instead of you? Because that will set you free to know what you are not. That will set you free to prove to you what you are not. But if you haven't come to that place, you have an identity crisis that you have not overcome. And then when the people heard that, they were coming to John. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God. He said, I'm not that, but I'm functioning in my ministry. And that's to point you 
to the person that this is the one. That is my calling and that is what I'm doing. And I'm doing it with joy. You will only become what God wants you to become when you are comfortable with what God has called you to be. And when you are content with the place that God has called you to. And when you are settled in the place that God has called you to. Because some people can say, oh, yeah, Jesus is baptizing people who you brought. But that is your call. That is what God brought you for. And if you were not there, Jesus' ministry will not come about. So magnify your office. Magnify your destiny. Magnify your identity. Because it will help cure some of those those problems. Because if not, then you would like to be Jesus. I would like to be this woman. I would like to be this person. Not that I would like to have the spirit and the power of all. Like Elisha. You know, I believe that we all have our identities. But actually to be, we are, we are all made differently. But you can have the spirit of a ministry. You can have the spirit of the bishop. Like John the Baptist had the spirit of Elisha. You have the spirit of that person, but you are still John the Baptist. And you are not. And you still celebrate the person. Because that is your calling. As a wife, I know that my calling is to support. My calling is not to fight. And to create power blocks in the church. Do you see? Once a group went for an outreach, a retreat... This powerful pastor with a quite troublesome wife. We went on the retreat and they said, let's share prayer topics. So they said, sister, the pastor was leading. And the wife too, she always insists on joining the man's ministry, whether the man likes it. The man said, go to this. I said, no, I'll be in your ministry. She said, prayer topics. Sister, this, oh, from what we have shared I think we should pray that God will strengthen us in the inner man from this. Then when he got to the wife, he said, hmm. Pray for your pastor. He has a lot of problems. You see him like this here. Don't be fooled. Don't just look at the outward. He has a lot of issues. First of all, pray that he will be the kind of husband he has to become. Because if he's not that, he cannot minister to you. Secondly, pray that this... I wasn't at the prayer meeting, but the people were so deflated. They came to tell me in my office. And, well, from the human point of view of what we know, if there's anybody who needs prayer. (laughs) Do you understand? All these things I preach, they're experiences I have experienced. Every meeting she comes for, it's a beast. Every meeting. She'll be calling people, solve it. And some people told me that, uh, this person, she's a pastor, so she gives very bad counsel. I mean, I'm walking in the church, I don't know what's going on. But I said, really? So, oh, I thought she was my friend, but now, the thing she says about her husband, I don't think it's right. And I also know the man. So, so what she thought she was destroying, it ended up destroying her. Every meeting she goes to, she'll have to say something about the pastor. You see, this pastor, he's this. He has a problem. You see him like that. He looks so tender and sweet. You, you don't know. Just live with him a few days. You see that this, and you see that that, and you say, you are not functioning your call. You are functioning something else. And whatever the pastor, whatever, you are not the pastor. So if it were me, I would do things this way. You are not. 
If it were, if, but it is not. And we struggle for positions and places because we have not accepted that we are a voice of one crying in the wilderness. We look down on what God has made us. But in everything, if you are faithful, it can be magnified. Daughter, you can make it. It didn't start as some great international. I even never saw on the horizon that it would even become an international ministry. It was a small Bible study. TV room, five people, let's gather. It was a message, are you here? Our first convention, she was there. So the total woman. Then I preached, the total woman. You are a spirit, you are a soul, and then you are a body. And then we are moving on. Small, 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 small. And then at a point, Bishop said, ah, this thing is growing. Why don't you start a ministry called Daughter, You Can Make It? And then you go and you, small, small, and even daughter too, small, 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 small. But I function in what? I am given to do. What you are given to do defines who you are. Do you understand? And when you are faithful with it, then God lifts you up. You don't need to be the bishop to be celebrated. Just being the bishop's wife makes you celebrated. Be happy. And celebrate because you didn't even carve for yourself that place. You didn't even know where God was leading you to. You didn't know. But now when you reach a certain place, now we have some different callings and different giftings. And we are coming to show you what we can really do in the kingdom. And we, and we don't say it with our mouths, but in our hearts. Turn to your neighbor and say, are you a voice? Are you crying? Are you in the wilderness? Amen. Hallelujah. I'm the voice of one crying, 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 crying in the wilderness. When you read John 6 verse 42, the Bible says the Jews murmured about Jesus because he said, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, why do you say I am the bread? Why do you say I am the bread? You see, God seems to use trite and ordinary things to define his people. You're either a voice or you are bread. I mean, bread is not powerful. You want to be something more than bread. Bread is subject to decay. Everybody can bake some. It's the cheapest thing to find everywhere. And he says, I am the bread of life. How will people accept you? We want powerful prophetic words, not bread. You are the bread of life. And so what? So what should we do? But Jesus constantly affirmed who he was. There are many things he also said about himself. But he affirmed what the Father had said about him. But we are not finding out what the Father has said about us. God has said you are a, crea a new creation. He says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He said that he has a plan for you. Plans of prosperity and not of disaster. You are not meditating on all that. You want to become something else. But Jesus said, I am the bread. Come down from heaven. I am. I am. Amen. Amen. I am the bread. And the Jews murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, why do you say I am the bread? And they said, is not this Jesus the son of Joseph? 
whose father and mother we know. How is it then that he said, I came down from heaven? Is this not the son of Joseph? And in Matthew, which you don't need to bother to tend to say, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Whence then had this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. Amen. He said, I'm the bread of, I'm the bread come down from heaven. How can you come from heaven? We have been living here with you. You live at Mama Lodi. Now you say that you are the bread come down from heaven. Is your father not Joseph the carpenter? Is your mother not Mary? Uh, Joseph, Simon, Judas, we know all the names of your family members. Why are you saying you come from heaven? You have to fight to hold on to what God says you are. Because it will always come into question. It will always be disputed. You have to fight to say that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I may have committed abortion. I may have messed up in the past. But I am the righteousness of God in Christ. How can you be the righteousness? Am I not the one who slept with you? How can you say you come from heaven? We have been living in this quarter with you. What are you talking about? So Shanguve, we are there with you. You say you came from where? Heaven. It's not this Joseph the carpenter's son. We know everything about you. And yet you have to maintain your testimony. Jesus said, I receive not testimony from man. Because the testimony of God is greater. But most of us have made the testimony of man greater. You have magnified man's testimony about you. Oh, man said this. It's true, you made a mistake, but that is not your testimony. Amen. That is not your identity. Amen. You are something else. You are bread come down from heaven. Are you going to use all your energy? When they say you are not the bread, you say, oh, I'm the bread. Then you start there arguing with them. No. Go to those who will receive you as bread. Even that bread, it will now become a fixed thing that they will do in remembrance of you. That thing that people ask questions about is what God will use to celebrate you. And then you will come and say, do this in remembrance of me. And all over the world, they will be breaking that bread. And that's because you accepted to be the bread that God has defined you to be. Because if you were something else, you would not be able to satisfy us. You would not be able to fulfill your God-given destiny. If you were, but we are striving to be something else. Some of us would not have said that we are not worthy to unlace your shoes. When we are unlacing the shoes, we will say, I like your shoes, Jesus. I identify you by what you wear. Jesus, your shoes are lovely. Can I have them? I will wear your shoes so that I will become you. But he said to even fasten them, I'm not worthy. I'm the bread. Come down from heaven. Look, we are citizens of heaven. When the Bible says we are seated with him in heavenly place, you have to meditate on it till it becomes a reality. Otherwise, you always feel that you are sitting here. You are sitting here with all your earthly struggles. You don't feel that you are sitting anywhere in heaven. But it's not by feelings. It's by revelation of God's word. It's what God says about you. And even Jesus had to ask his disciples, who do men say that I am? Because men always have another, another. He says, some say you are a prophet. Some say you are Elijah. And some say you are John the Baptist. 
they are even mixing again identity crisis. And Jesus said, but you, who do you say that I am? God will always give you somebody that he gives a revelation to about you. So the person doesn't just see your exterior. The person sees what lies within you. And then the person encourages you and calls forth what lies within you. One of those people I think did that for me was my Sunday school teacher who brought me to Christ. He always told me, you are a preacher. You must preach God's word. God, from the age of nine, you are a preacher. You must preach God's word. God will ask you. And then he showed me glimpses that I'm a preacher, which I didn't know that I would fall on as an adult. Because he took me to the marketplace. I was small. And then he would lift me up and put me on a tank where they do that kerosene. He would put me on that tank. Meanwhile, he has given me a script to learn, preaching by heart like a nursery run. So then I just start to preach. My, my, my fellows or my friends sing. They hold a blood-stained cross and they sing. Other cross, other cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the way. So when they finish, my teacher will lift me up. Then I'll come and say, one day, Jesus was walking. He saw a victory. Then my friend, Hectoria Kwashi, she will interpret. You, you, you will never bear fruit again. Then my friend would say, I will, I will, and so about you. will preach. He would take me to big gatherings. I've told you once, my parents, I didn't, I was at home when my Sunday school teacher came for me. In the night, oh. End of year, Western Regional Minister's dinner. He came for me. Adelaide, the work of God is calling us. No, and he used to have a group called the Tears of Jesus. So he would say, the tears, and we will we'll respond, of Jesus. God's will be done. Then we are on our way. So he took us. And we, we had even camouflage. We have a cultural group, so they'll come. Kenke, kenke, otofoyobi, they'll dance. So he would say that he has a cultural group. Then after that, he puts me on the day. Preaching. People broke their beer glasses. People broke their bottles. Not knowing my parents were in the car. So there are child that they have left to sleep. You have come for her. And then me too, I say, it's the will of God. God's will. How they beat me? They beat me. Fully. But I think he had a certain charisma. Because when he comes to us, Mama, <laughs> praise the Lord. We have another meeting. My mother said, she's not going. Today, she's not going. Whatever. Then I told my Sunday school teacher, you must come when my grandmother is there, not my mother. <laughs> if you come when my grandmother is there to work, and he will come. When my, grand, my grandmother will say, hmm, this is your teacher. He really, okay, go, but don't belong. And they said, oh, he took me to places. He took me to every single university in Ghana. Cape Coast, Legon. At his, at his expense. He would go and take Laboni Secondary School. We would go and sleep there, camping from there, preaching. We went to Akunedi Shrine to preach. Yes, and I'm the principal preacher. So when they finish, then I come. Then the people came and said, they will cut off our heads. Akunedi in Latte. Now, when I came to Form 2, I wanted to be a guy. I wanted to be, but God gave me glimpses. So Teacher Yama said, you are a preacher. Teacher Yama said, God has a destiny for you. Teacher Emma said, God will never pardon you. 
If you do not fulfill, that, that I don't even understand ministry, but that's what he said, just that you are a preacher. So I, I tried to take boyfriend. I'm trying to say yes, but I say no. The people will wrap me up. Okay, so we'll pick you up at this time. When they come, I'm not able to enter the car. Something just constrains me. I tell you, when I got to Lagos, I said, oh, this boy is nice. I'll come and visit. I said, please don't come. Something. But I believe it was that seed of who you are. Of who you are. Of who you are. Of who you are. It just, it just spoke volumes to my heart. Every day, some party, I want to go, crew waste. This, it doesn't work. The first and only time my big brothers took me to a disco, I felt so dizzy, I couldn't see what. I don't know that. They put on the light, turn them off, put them on. So they said, ah, but wait team is this? You know, they speak pigeon English. Wait team is this? Oh, even why did we bring you? And they took me to some place. Sit here. You are really some way. And my, my other brother was saying, I told you. I thought you said make you no bring him. Where? So I sat in the corner. Hey. When I sat in the corner, I saw fornication life. In the corner there. So I got up. I said, where am I? So I got up. My brother was dancing with his girlfriend smooching. I said, I need to go home. He said that. You see? Why? Said, oh, mommy. So he came to the corner. I said, Waiting. I said that some people are fornicating over there. He said that we have been coming to a disco every day. Nobody fornicates. Only you. Today we brought you. You have come to see fornication here. Only you. So they had to wrap up everything and go and deposit me at home. And even when we were going, I couldn't see. Hey, it's a very and a certain sadness, depression, and rest came into me. And I said, but me, what am I trying to prove? Trying to change my identity to be accepted, to be like, but I am not. I am not. So I went all right, but in my heart, I. So my, my brothers and sisters were always playing unbeliever songs. Whereas my husband, he never heard any of those in his house. So now every time we go out, and then maybe they are playing some old song, tears on my pillow, the way I go, I say, pain in my How do you know it? How do you know it? I said, ah, I know a lot of unbelievers. Hey, you mom, if God hadn't saved you, you'd have fornicated. Perhaps. Every song he doesn't know. Because I said, lady in red. I said, hey, this song, how? Hey, you know this one too. Reverend Saki, please ask my wife for me. How she knows us. But something in me made me know that I was not. This is not my place. This is not where I am. You know, I think that God just preserves you for certain things that he wants you to do. We may not all have the same history, but we are preserved for a purpose. You know? So I don't think I can even stand and say, oh, ask me, I didn't do bad things. I didn't do... I wanted to. But, hey, it will not work. When the person says... I love you. This, I'm not able to say anything. In response, it's like, hey. I tried to even dance smooching. But the way the boy heard me, I said, hey, why are you so close? Please. Bring a gap. What is this? So we're standing on the floor like this. I 
am not. I am not. I am not. I am not. I am not. Hallelujah. I'm the voice of one crying. I didn't know the destiny God had for me. But he knew. You see, the master has the master plan. You don't have the master plan. So everything, even Paul, you are a blasphemer, you are a persecutor, you are injurious, but God will use that for his own glory. So stop moaning, oh, I, I didn't do this. It's true, they are all mistakes. But God is using you in that state and in that identity to come forth and bring forth your destiny. Hallelujah. I'm the bread. Come from heaven. So why do you say you are coming from heaven? Well, we have all been staying here with you. And then the Bible says that Jesus' brothers, John 7, will be ending soon. John chapter 7. I am not. I am not. Amen. Are you in John chapter 7? Verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. Verse 3. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth this, blah, blah. Verse 5. For neither did his brethren believe in him. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Amen. The brethren were saying that if you are really called, no man who does great works keeps himself in secret. So go and manifest yourself. Bad counsel. But the reason why they are giving you that counsel is not because they believe in your ministry. But because they feel that you are hiding because you yourself, you know you are nothing. And they don't believe in you. But they are giving you another front as if they believe in you. But in reality, they are not, they are not saying that because they believe in you. They are saying, go there and make a fool out of yourself because we already know that you are nothing. Even the people closest to you may not believe in you. It's sad, but don't build a shrine out of that sadness. It's a reality. They don't believe in you, but you must walk with your God. And you must keep your eyes on who he says that you are. Amen. Amen. And then I want to talk about our own self, self-limitation. Self-limitation. Because we have talked about what people say, what people do, what people... But what about you yourself? Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5 to 12. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5 to 12. Okay, let's read from verse 1. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto him, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. 
Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms, to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. And the Lord said unto me, Thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. Amen. No matter what God says about us, we battle with identity crisis. So when God says, before I formed thee in your mother's womb, I knew you, and I called you, and I ordained you a prophet unto the nations. So instead of Jeremiah meditating on that, he saw his deficiencies. So he says, ah, Lord God, it cannot be. I cannot speak for I'm a child. So in spite of what God is telling you, you are not receiving that. But you are seeing your inadequacies, your inabilities, and your deficiencies. He says, I'm a child. I cannot go. He has told you that before you even had an opinion, he knew who you were, you were and he gave you a destiny. And then you are saying, but Lord, it seems you have overlooked certain things, although you are God. You don't seem to be factoring in certain things. But I would like you to turn your eyes to the realities that I'm a child and I cannot speak. And God says, say not that I'm your child. What do you say about yourself in your unguarded moments? What do you think about who you are in Christ in your unguarded moments? What do you say from your heart to God when he's talking to you? Do you make excuses? Ah, Lord God, I'm a child and I don't know what. He's saying, say not those things anymore. Let us start to change the things we say about ourselves. Amen. You see, sometimes we say, one great thing I said about John the Baptist was that he was able to define who he is not. But the fact that you are not that doesn't mean you are not something else. But we women want to define ourselves. I'm not slim, so I'm not nice. So you are not, but it doesn't mean that you are not something else. We need to accept the fact that, yes, I'm not slim. I'm not a size six or a size. I'm not. But I am a voice. Amen. I am not married. But it doesn't make me less of a person or less. It doesn't mean that I'm not marriageable type. I'm not nice. I'm not attractive. I'm not this. I'm not married. But it doesn't mean that I am not the voice of one crime. I'm not Jesus. But it doesn't mean that I'm not John the Baptist. It doesn't mean that. We define ourselves by sizes. You look at Halle Berry. You say, oh, look at such a beautiful woman. I'd like to be... Do you know her issues? In spite of her beauty... Do you know her issues? You will be surprised to know. Her issues are very some way. So some way. I said, oh, if only Christ would step into such lives, he will make such a difference. She's changing husbands. Elizabeth Taylor, this is the most beautiful woman in the world. Marrying eight people. This is Halle Berry. Men have the audacity to beat her. So they don't beat you because you are not pretty, but they beat you because there's a monster in them. Amen. We look at things and the church now desires so much to be accepted by the world and to be like the world. 
You know, we want to even do functions like the world. We want to look like the world. We want to dress like the world because we have an identity crisis. We don't know who we are. And therefore, we, we want to be something else. And that's not who we are. Amen. So you yourself can also be your own enemy by what you believe and by what you say. But God didn't just say, don't say that. When he said, I can't speak, the Lord stretched forth his hand and touched his mouth. Sometimes God often will just encourage you. He doesn't see it as a problem. He said, I ordained you from the beginning that you, you are a prophet already. But you are saying, oh Lord, I can't. I can't. You think you can't speak? Let me touch your mouth. Let me give you a, a contact of faith. Let me give you something that will boost your belief. And so I'll just touch your lips. And then I'll send you. And then you will go. Sometimes you need a second touch. He's done it, but you need a second touch. So that you will believe that what he's saying is true. Amen. Therefore, Lady Reverend, you have said all these things. How can we come into what God wants us to do? First of all, I've told you that you can also be your own enemy. So begin to say the things that God says. Amen? Amen. Begin to say the things that God says about you. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself a living sacrifice, your bodies. And verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye changed. How? By the renewing of your minds. It always comes down to the renewing of our minds. Amen. You need to renew your mind about who you are. That doesn't mean that you don't accept your faults and your weaknesses. Like Paul, you should be able to say, I was a persecutor. Don't call it something else. I was a blasphemer. Don't call it something else. Let God be true. Be real with yourself. Have a problem with pride. Have a problem with insecurity. We all have different types of insecurity. But sometimes it comes to a measure where we can't even function because you feel that everybody thinks this about you. Everybody says that you are this. Everybody, but every human being has insecurities. When you are entering a hall and then all the people are sitting there, Obama, this person, you, you can't walk. You don't know where you should go. It's all insecurity. When you come to a crowd, there are lots of people who say, I'll sit at the back because to walk through all these people, for them to be looking at me, that you are unsure of yourself, that's why. We are all insecure at different types. But to allow it to fester and to reach a certain place, that is not of God. So we need to renew our minds. We need to renew our minds about politics. Why do we have politics in the church? Because we are all fighting to be important. We are fighting to be known. We are fighting to be seen. But why? If you go somewhere, they don't introduce you. Don't be angry. God knows who you are. And God celebrates who you are. So don't worry. Man feels like he's promoting you through that or demoting you through that. If God really wants to promote you, he will use his own way. It's not these type of things <laughs> that he's going to use. Wherever you take the person, the person will just shine. You know, if you take Joseph to jail, he will shine. You take his coat of many colors, you think that's what gives him his identity. You think it's what we wear that gives us our identity. Take it away and I will still be the Joseph that God has called me to be. Because my identity is not in the many coat of many colors. My identity is in what God has said. That he's sending me ahead to preserve prosperity. That is God's calling on my life. 
And when I become second to Pharaoh, the coat will not even matter. You took it, you cut it, you dipped it in blood, you threw it away, you used it as false evidence because that is what so enraged you about me. And you thought that if you took it away, you would cut me down to size. But when you took it away, what I am inside, the king's daughter is all precious within. The preciousness of what I am within is what unleashes me and makes me who I am. If we are what we were in the shop, then you can easily be me and I can easily be you. If we are the bags we hold, then I can easily be you and you can easily be me. But we are not that. We are more than that. The king's daughters are all glorious. Within. Amen. Act 17. Verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. Your very essence, your very being is from above. It's not from beneath. In him, we live. But usually we step out of him. We don't live in him. We step out. In him we live. And when we are moving, we move without him. We are just moving. But in him we live and move and have our very existence. Your existence is not that you are Mr. Baden's daughter. And so what? Your existence is not that you are Bill Gates' uh, uh, son. All those things are things that God just brings to make you happy. But that is not your real essence. Because what makes you affect posterity and affect lives and affect people is not because you are your father's child, but because of the destiny that God puts within you. So in him we live and move and have our being. Let your movement, your living, and your very existence come from him. And finally, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. For in him, that is in Jesus Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Do you have any deficiencies? You are complete in him. Do you have any brokenness? You are complete in him. Do you have a weird past? You are complete in him. Do you have something you are shameful of? You are complete in him. Do you have something you battle with? You are complete in him. Do you have something that people say, you are this, you are that, you are that? You are complete in him. The fullness of the Godhead dwelleth bodily. The fullness of the whole of God oh, in Christ Jesus. And therefore, when you have him, you are complete in him. You don't need to have a title to be complete in him. Sometimes you are due to be a reverend and you haven't been reverendized. It's not. I mean, I joined the church from its inception. When I joined the church, there were only five people in the church. And I've been in the church ever since. I was an announcer in the church. I did first time as remember the poor, new believers, follow up, this and that. Not even women with direction, not even knowing where God was leading us to. Scrubbing the floors for people's weddings, putting up curtains, 
decor, all sorts of things. They just went on. And then when the church came to a place, it started to make shepherds. So I became a shepherd. But all the time that I was slaving in the church, there was no shepherd name. You see, you just work. There's no title. After that, we became shepherds. Then, people who had just then just joined the church, they all became shepherds with me. So if you are looking for positions, say, hey, where, where were you? Do you know when I joined the church? Do you know where I've been? And then, when it came that they wanted to ordain ladies, they ordained so many ladies with me on the same day. And I met a pastor's wife of another church. I said, ah, but why do you allow that to happen? Your husband does not know that you were in the church from the beginning. The first of all should have made you the first lady reverend. Before they ordained others, who just came? I mean, why? In, my, in my church, that's not what happened. I was ordained on my own. Now, if you don't think deep, your mind is not renewed. Say, ah, it's true. They don't celebrate me. This, this, this. You are now going on a path that it won't bring you anything. You became reverend first, and so what? And so what? Or they should have a new title for you, Bishop Rest. You are not the bishop, even if you were there from the beginning. You are not the bishop. Amen. And then I was made reverend with all the people, some of whom I had even nurtured myself. Okay, so repeat this verse after me. Do you believe it? God is really going to do this and that. Do you know that this, you, you see, you know about Holy Ghost baptism, turn your Bible to this place. God is able to baptize you in the Holy Ghost. This, and on that day, we all stand before the same altar and we are all made reverence because the fullness of the Godhead and I am complete, not in the things that I do, but in him, but in him. Some of you are offended about the wrong things. Every time I'm talking to people, I say, do you know the road I've walked on? All the things that have happened to you, they have happened to me. And so when I tell you that God will bring you through, just believe. Just look at me as a written epistle of whatever and, and believe that you will be okay. You will be all right. But sometimes people feel, oh, you are saying that because you are the bishop's wife. So sometimes my counseling is a bit difficult when I say, you know, don't do this, do this. Go through this trial. You'll be okay. Don't do this. You look at her. She's biased or she's speaking from the perspective. But I'm not. I'm speaking from the perspective of where I've been. I'm speaking from the perspective of... I've told you how when I traveled, I came. They've disbanded all my ministries. I don't have a ministry. And it has happened to some of you. You are, you are wounded up to now. But your identity is not those things that you are doing. Whatever destiny is in you, it will come to pass. Just stay faithful. Sometimes you fall in love with the ministry more than you fall in love with God. And God has to take it away to prove to you that your heart is in the wrong place. And you have to give him an offering for telling you that your heart is in the wrong place. Because you would have shipwrecked and you would have messed up. Amen. But you want to be here. We said move here. He said, I don't want to move. Change is difficult. You see, now just before I came, I've not been given a new ministry. Already what is on my plate? I'm struggling. It's not easy for me. Because the things are expanding. This, that, that. Orphanage, five foundations, primary school, counseling, call by side. This, that, that, and marrying. Even when I want to come to South Africa on Tuesday to have my quiet time to really be 
impressed by God. I'm told that stay till I come from Madagascar. And you are not the head of your house. He said, hey, you have to know I'm not. Amen. You are not. But I say, eh, do you know my calling? Do you know my ministry? You want to stifle my ministry. You want to break the call of God on my life. You want to. This is also your calling to be a helpmeet and to submit. It's also part of your calling. God has called you to that one too. Or you don't know. You are called as a helpmeet. You are called to submit. And when you look at Amplified, you will become discouraged. When it describes what submit is, to defer to, to be secondary to, to yield, to bend. I said, God, but you didn't show us all this. We didn't know the contracts we were signing. You know, my mother said to me, the only institution that before you write the exam, you are giving your certificate before is marriage. They give you the certificate because if they don't, you, after the exam, you say, I will not. So God has to lure you into it as you are standing there. I do. And the pastor will be shaking you. This is your marriage certificate. Have you written the exam? Have you written the exam? University, you finished before. High school, you finished. Matric, you finished. Only marriage, they give you a certificate before you, you, you write the exam. That's to show you that there's a deception in there. Amen, ladies. she told me, I said, wow, what a revelation. She said, because as you see the question, she said, hey, this one I can't answer. This one I can't do. This one pass. This one cancel. This one, this. God is wiser than you. Say, Come. You haven't written the exam, but you've passed with flying colors. <laughs> Jesus is Lord. You have to know what you are not. Otherwise, you will always struggle for things. And not only will it destroy your life, you destroy others. Let's come to the point you are not celebrated. Still stay quietly where you are. Guard your heart so that you don't change. And continue walking. The God who brought you. You see, many of the things, you didn't ask him to do it in your life. But he raised you up anyway. Why, are you that now? Why is it that now you want to walk in the flesh when he has done everything? You didn't even know there was a church called Lighthouse. God brought you. You hadn't thought that you would be a lady pastor, but God made you. You didn't think that you could speak into anybody's life, but God did it. That same God. But now, as you see what he's doing, you say, oh, I have to encourage him. You see, God, he can be a bit slow. I have to hasten the process to perform it. He says, I, the Lord, hasten my word. God is more in a hurry than you. He said to Jeremiah, I, the Lord, hasten my way to perform it. He's more in a hurry than you. But he knows that when he puts you in that position, you will mess up. So he needs to groom you. And things that you don't know that are in your heart, he knows that they are there. <laughs> he wants to work on it. Pride. Selfish ambition. Lust for position. Party spirit. You know, sometimes I see politics in the church, I say, minus me. I will never join this politics. Sometimes this person doesn't flow with this person. And then when they see me, they say, hello, sister Bami. I mean, you, the reason is to show the person that, you know, I'm your body, pa, by you. You are not counting. I see all those politics. So when I see them, I'll reach and say, Lady Pastor Joy, how are you too? Everything okay? Then you have equalized and you are moving. It takes wisdom. The spirit of the Godhead dwelleth in us.
We are complete. Walk in the completeness. Stand to your feet, please. Hallelujah. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. Old mm. oh, things have passed away. I'm born again. Yes, more than a conqueror. Believe it. That's what I am. I'm a new creation. Yes, I'm a brand new man. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand for your word that has come to us. Deliver us from the deceptions of the enemy. Deliver us from the confusions and distortions in our lives and the crisis in our identity as we move on with you. May we always come to that central part of who we really are in you. Give us the grace to transform our minds, to renew our minds, to accept and meditate on who we really are in you. And not to be afraid of the future of what lies ahead. But to know that whatever greatness lies in us, you God will bring it to pass. Your word says that the king's daughter is all pleasant within. Give us a revelation of ourselves. Give us a revelation divine of what we are within. And give us the grace to walk in our high places. Bring each one of us into our destiny. Bring us to a place of acceptance of who we are and what you want from us and what you are making out of us. Thank you, Lord, for healing in all the broken places. Those who have been beaten down with words. Those who have been beaten down by their past. Those who have been beaten down by their mistakes, Lord. Give them a new cloak, a new garment, a refreshing in their identity. Let them focus on who you have made them. And for all our mistakes... For all our weaknesses, we plead the blood. The blood that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. The blood that does not speak condemnation but speaks liberty. Oh, let that blood cleanse us. 
and let us start on a new road. Forgive us for power struggles. Forgive us for politics. Forgive us for offenses where we are justified, but it's still not scripture. And put us on a new path. Let a new day dawn in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. It was great having you today. To find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Heward Mills, please visit the Vision Bookshop at the Kodesh, North Kaneshi, or meet her on Facebook at Reverend Mrs. Adelaide Heward Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243-187-900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.